You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. I hope that you have enjoyed the last four weeks as a faith family, as we've been just really honestly just getting a small taste about the Protestant Reformation that happened. Today is Reformation Sunday. Um, the Reformation took place, started with Martin Luther posting a 95 Theses, not the 95 Reses, uh, posted the 95 Theses uh, 501 years ago. And you might ask yourself, why is the Reformation important to us 501 years later? Well, for one, it shows us where we've been as Protestants for the last 500 years, It shows us that we have a lot of history on our side. What we are doing this morning is not new. It's been happening for century upon century upon century. We've seen in the Protestant Reformation that we can learn from the mistakes of the church of the past, that they did not rely on the authority of Scripture, and here we are 500 years later and some things never change, right? One thing that's been constant throughout church history is change. We are a people as the church of change. And so as the church continues to change, our doctrine, our theology doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. Our methods do. And as our methods change, we're just keeping within century upon century of history. And so if you'd like more information, I encourage you to study the Protestant Reformation. When I was in seminary, I had to. And to be honest, I didn't enjoy it. Be it mainly because of the teacher, but we won't talk about that. Um, but it was, it was, I thought it was dry. It was boring. But now as I grow, as I mature in my walk with Christ, I begin to see more and more what a benefit church history is. And so we've been uh, emailing out during the weekly update on Wednesdays three books uh, about the Protestant Reformation. I encourage you to buy those books on Amazon, maybe find them at a library, Christian bookstore, wh- what have you. And take a look at those, and I know it can be helpful to you. We continue on in our series through 1 Timothy, looking at God's design for the church, the blueprints. We've seen that, Timoth- that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. God, uh, Paul had sent Timothy to Ephesus to walk that church through bad doctrine and false teachers. We've seen how Paul instructed Timothy to deal with that conflict and the bad doctrine there. We've seen that the church is a community of true believers. We've talked about what is the church, that oftentimes we don't even have a correct understanding what the church is. We've seen that the church is not a building. There's nothing special about this building that we gather in. It's not a place. We don't go to church. We are the church. It's not a not simply a nonprofit organization. It's not like the YMCA, the Boys and Girls Club, the United Way, all good organizations, but that's not the church. We have a different mission and purpose. The church is people. We've seen that in all things, the church, we must be centered on the gospel. We must know the gospel. We saw a couple weeks ago, we must protect it. We must declare it to the world. We even saw last week with Pastor Jason that we must serve with the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. 
And anything that becomes more important than the gospel and the church is simply nothing more than idolatry. That's really what the Protestant Reformation was about. We've seen how God has designed the church to be led. We saw that the church is to be led by a plurality of elders. We saw the qualification of elders. We've seen how the church is to be served by deacons. And we saw the qualification of deacons. And today we're going to see how the local church is to be organized. Now, let me just say, as I've been spent the last two weeks on this sermon after being on vacation in God's country out in Colorado, as I've been working through this sermon this, uh, for this morning, I, there's been a little bit of, I'm just being honest and transparent here, a little bit of fear on my part, a little bit of trepidation on my part, because I don't want anyone here to feel as if I'm putting pressure on them. I don't want anyone to feel as if I'm twisting their arms. I do not want to play the Holy Spirit. I do a really bad job of that. I do not want to do that, but I want to be biblically accurate and correct as well. Because there's something going on in the life of our church which is fabulous. It's exciting. Within the last 15, 16 months, we have 50, we have had over 50 new uh, members and new regular attenders. So with knowing that, it could be easily for it to be interpreted as if I this morning have an agenda to try to get people to do something, and that is not it at all. That is not at all. We are just following in our series through 1 Timothy, and here in 1 Timothy 5, we see how the local church is to be organized, and it is to be organized by church membership. Now, I have a confession to make. A few years ago, I found myself disenchanted with the church. Just a handful of years ago, I found myself disenchanted with the church. I believed in the global church. I saw how Christ had, through Scripture, I, had, I see, understood how Christ had died to redeem the church, resurrected to bring the church to life. I love the, the word picture of the church being the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5. And really what that means is that we are, we are the pride and joy of Christ as the bride of Christ. I remember on our, my, our wedding day, Mary Lane and I, on April 30th, 2011, I remember standing at the front of Dawson Memorial Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and I remember music being played. I don't remember what the song was. I think it was a string quartet. I don't remember. Um, but I remember the back doors of that church opened and walked the most beautiful woman on the face of the planet. And I remember the feeling of pride and joy. And so when we see that picture of Christ describes us in Ephesians 5 as the bride of Christ, that's what Christ feels about us. So men, if you remember your wedding day, that is how Jesus feels about the church. We are his pride and joy. And so I understood that. I loved the idea of the global church. But to be honest, I didn't like the local church. As I had gone through high school, college, seminary, I had seen churches battle over money. 
I had seen pastors with massive egos. I had been a part of churches that were honestly nothing more than spiritual beauty contests. I had been on staff of a church that was totally run by preferences and opinions of people that had no idea what they were talking about. I have been a part of a church where the pastor and leaders were constantly gossiped about from what house and style of house they lived in, how big their house was, or to whether or not they smiled enough. I was a part of a church in Alabama that had, a, had very different ideas on how a pastor's wife should be, though there's no biblical qualifications of a pastor's wife and how they should be serving in the church. And I went through that over a span of a few years, and honestly, I thought, why would anyone want to be a part of a local church? Why would anyone want to be a part of that? Why would you want to invest in a local church? Like, and I even thought, is there even biblical evidence of church membership? Is that just something that we as human beings, we invented? Is, that, is there really any biblical proof for church membership? But then I had the privilege of being a small part of and going to, for a little bit, a church that was different. It was vibrant. The gospel was preached and taught. They were sending members of their church literally all over the world to start churches. I would walk into this church in Birmingham, and I would walk in, and I would see people gathering inside and outside the worship service, genuinely happy to see each other, hugging each other, excited to see each other. The floor in their worship center would vibrate, not from how loud the music was, but from the voices of the church singing praises to God for what he had done for them. I saw people being discipled and then being sent out to start churches across the United States. And what I began to discover as I studied this church from afar was that this church taught and highly valued local church membership from Scripture. See, faith family, I firmly believe, now walking through that journey on my own, that local church membership is biblical. Even with how messy the church can be, even though the church is a beautiful thing, even with all of its warts and dysfunctions, church membership is biblical. So faith family this morning, I want us to discover, I want us to study how the church is to be organized through local church membership. And then as you meet people, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe, maybe in your neighborhoods, as you meet people, you may hear, I like, the, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I like the church, but I don't like the people. I'm hoping this morning to equip you with Scripture to show evidence of biblical church membership. So we come here to 1 Timothy 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 16 in one swell swoop. So stay with me. Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, Older women as mothers, 
and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Support widows who are genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God, continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. They are not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies, saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, a lot of cultural things we have to unpack here, but we see in this passage, Paul's instructing Timothy to take care of widows in the church. And in this culture, widows were in a place of honor. And we too should honor widows today, but that's not the point of this passage at all. What we see in this passage is the care of the members of the church. We see the care there. And so as we see this care, there's knowledge of those in the church. You see how specific Paul really is in this passage. He's giving very, very specific instruction here. So there's knowledge of those in the church. Now, we need to ask ourselves the question as we walk through this passage, how, where does this knowledge come from? How is that knowledge known? Well, look at verse 9. No widow is to be enrolled. Then down to verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows. Also in verse 9, it says no widows to be enrolled on the list. Now, we don't have proof. We haven't found these lists, but apparently they were kind of taking role in the local church at this time. There was a knowledge of those who were in the church. We see this in this text We see the criteria for those who would and would not qualify for the church of Ephesus. I call it the widow care program. We see the qualifications of it. The local church in Ephesus is organized. They are working out a plan here. But we also see other evidences of church uh, church membership throughout the New Testament. So hold your finger here. We're going to flip to a lot of different pages. So uh, I hope you... um, are ready, okay? So do some thumb stretches if you need to, but turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at the early church, especially there in Jerusalem. Let's see what they did and what was happening in that church. 
In Acts chapter 2, you see the day of Pentecost and Peter's sermon, and all of a sudden, immediately, thousands of people come to know Christ. Thousands of people are saved. I hope there's DVR in heaven because I want to see the day of Pentecost. If there's any way we can rewind it back, I'd love to see the day of Pentecost. Well, right after the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches about Christ. He says in verse 37, when they heard this, the people of Jerusalem, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and that was not a Baptist potluck, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So we see in Acts chapter 2, 37 through 47 that we just read that there is a numerical record of those who have professed Christ. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 41, and an acknowledgement that the church was tracking the growth, verse 47. How would you do that? Membership. All right, let's turn over to Romans chapter 16. Turn over to Romans chapter 16. Stay with me. I know this is a lot. We're, we're dogs drinking from a fire hydrant, but we'll do our best. Romans chapter 16. I'm going to read it very, very quickly. So just stick with me, all right? I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who's a servant of the church in Chechereye. So you should welcome her in the Lord in the manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matters she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. There's a reason why I'm reading this fast, okay? Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ, who risked their own necks for my life. Not, not only do I thank them, but also do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epaphidus, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary. And then we keep seeing, greet other names. Greet other names. Verse 9. Greet Urbanus. Greet Apellus. Greet Herodian. You see what he's talking about here? He's giving greetings to specific people in the Roman church. What we see here is an appearance and an awareness of who is a church member. We read in 1 Corinthians 12. We don't have time and write this down. 1 Corinthians 12. We see uh, Paul describing spiritual gifts and the diversity of spiritual gifts in the church. And as we if we were to study spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, you will see that it would be impossible to these commands from God without connection to the local body of believers, the church. Now I'll turn over to Romans 12. We're already in Romans. This is the last passage I want to show you. Romans 12, verses 11 through 16. 
Paul gives some more commands. Verse 11 of Romans 12, do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints and their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. As Paul writes verses 11 through 17 here in Romans 12, he's describing what life in the church should look like. He's describing what life in the church should look like. And faith family, it would be impossible, absolutely impossible, to be obedient to these commands without connection to the local church. Why? Why could that be hard? Well, let me just speak from my own life. That's all I can speak from, my own experience. I know that oftentimes in my life, I do not, verse 11, I am not diligent in being zealous. I need encouragement. There are times in my own life, don't look at me like I'm crazy, that I'm not fervent in spirit. There's times when I don't want to serve the Lord. There's times where I'm not rejoicing in hope. There's not times when I'm not patient. There's times when I'm not persistent in prayer. There's times when I don't want to share in the needs with the saints. There's some times when I don't want to pursue hospitality. There's times when I don't want to bless those who persecute me. In fact, I want to curse them. There's times when I don't feel like rejoicing with someone who's rejoicing, and there's times when I don't want to weep. There's times when I'm not very good at living in harmony with other people. There's times when I'm proud. There's times when I'm wise in my own estimation. There's times when I want to repay evil with evil. And I don't think I'm the only one in the room. So what this is explaining to us, folks, it would be impossible for us to follow in these commands in Scripture without each other. Because sometimes I need a kick in the rear end. I need someone to say, Adam, you're not being patient. I need someone to say, don't curse those who persecute you, but bless them. I need someone to tell me, rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's okay to cry. We need that in our lives. And so here is how it's supposed to be in the local church. We're supposed to be better together. We're supposed to complement one one another. And there is no way we can do that without connection and membership to the local church. We need each other. See, here is the, here's the reality of Christianity and following Jesus. It's not a solo sport. It's not like tennis or golf or wrestling. It's not a solo sport. We need each other. In fact, as we look here in Romans chapter 12, we need each other desperately. And it would be impossible to be obedient to these commands without membership to the local church. 
But what can happen if we're not careful, as a lot of, as a lot of other things, we can treat the church like the golden corral. I'll take some of this, but I don't want any of that. We can treat Scripture like that. I like this, I like the grace of God, but I don't like the wrath of God. And so we can treat the church and anything spiritual like a buffet, full of my preferences and my opinions. But that's not biblical. Church membership is not one of personal preference, but of biblical obedience. So when we begin to look at these texts that I listed out, and if you would like these texts again to look at them on your own, email me, text me, catch me after we're done worshiping together, I'm happy to give them to you. But when we begin to look at these texts, it becomes clear that God's plan for His church and its organization is that we belong to a local covenant community of faith. And really, church membership is there for our protection, our mature, uh, for us to mature. But it's also not just for us. It's for the good of others. So what are the qualifications of church membership? Well, one, you must be a believer in Jesus Christ. You must believe in Jesus. You, you can't be a part of the local church if you're not part of the global church. It's number one qualification. It must be following obedience of Christ. And we don't have time to unpack all of that, but there are qualifications of church membership. And let me just say this. If you are a regular attender here and, and you're not a member of our member of our church, let me encourage you to become part of a covenant community of faith. Whether that's us at Leewood, we'd love to have you. I can explain all the benefits to it. Not like it's timeshare salesman, but I will, would love to share with you about that. We're not perfect here at Leewood. We're not. Don't let anyone lie to you about that. We're not perfect. We're broken people. We're going to mess up. We're going to fail you, hopefully not on purpose. We're going to fail you. We're not perfect. We are a family but we'd love to have you join us. But you may be here that you're not part of the global church. Maybe you're not a true believer in Jesus Christ. We'd love for you to sit down and talk with you. If you are interested in membership of this local church, if you want to see a six-foot-three man do a cartwheel or try to, be me. I'd love to sit down. I love those conversations and talk with you about what membership looks like here at Leewood. I'd love to show the benefits of it. I would love to show how you can serve. Love how you can be, I'd love to show you how you can be part of the family here at Leewood. Let's pray with me. God, we thank you for the church. God, forgive us for many times being tempted to be disenfranchised with your church. Lord, you know there's been times when I've been tempted to walk away from the church. But God, even with some of the perhaps warts and dysfunctions of the church, because we're broken people, keep at the forefront of our minds the beauty of your bride. 
And so, God, I pray first and foremost, if there's anyone here that does not know you, that is not walking with you, does not have a relationship with you, I pray, Lord, that you'd use the gospel, Holy Spirit, open their eyes to the need of salvation. Lord, thank you for our faith family here. Thank you for the community we have here. Thank you for the accountability we have here. Thank you that we get to serve together just like yesterday and through the, the Christmas shoeboxes. Thank you that we get to serve together. Thank you that we get to do life together, not just physical life together, but spiritual life together. God, grant us patience with one another. God, get, grant us zealousness for you. God, give us the ability to be hospitable. God, help us to be the church so that when people see us as Leewood Church, this local church that you have sovereignly placed here, that they would not see us, they would see you. That they would see, that they would see your love, that they would see the, the, the gospel on display, and that ultimately we would be making Jesus non-ignorable. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to send people from this place around the country and the world to serve you. I pray you'd raise up missionaries in our faith family so that when we're all together in eternity worshiping you, we can look back and say, wow, look what you did. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. <laughs>